Hi, I'm Pastor Guy Burke. We welcome you to this week's worship with First Baptist Church Indianola. We also invite you to find out more about us at our website, www.fbcindianola.com. And don't forget to like us on social media. Join us now as we study deep truths from God's holy word. Matthew, and uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, verses 18 through 25 together this morning, and we're going to consider the facet of doctrine. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been uh, walking through, and we've been on this journey and this venture together of looking at key facets from uh, Christmas. We've looked at prophecy. We've looked at theology. Today, we're going to look at doctrine together. Each facet is like those of a diamond bringing clarity to our Christmas. And so as today we will look at the facet of the doctrine of Christmas, specifically being the doctrine of the virgin birth. And so as we think about this together, here's a story that shows that we have something in common. It was 2005 and I was in seminary in New Orleans and uh, my great uncle put together a family reunion at his house. And so I, I ventured back home and, and made it back home. Uh, Lindsay couldn't be with me. She was working at Tulane University Hospital at the time. Uh, and so I made it, made it back home and got to see a, a lot of folks that I'd grown up getting to know over the years. I was the oldest grandchild on my dad's side. Uh, so I got to know a lot of distant cousins from time to time, uh, some from Texas. And, and as I got there and began to greet everyone and see everyone, uh, I could feel that there was, there was somewhat of a little bit of tension going on. And as we move through the event, yeah, attention at a family event, imagine that. And, and so as we, we move through the time together, I caught up with one of my cousins. She was there with her boyfriend, and uh, they were living out in Texas. And, and the conversation shifted to spiritual matters. Otherwise, I wouldn't be telling you this story, right? And so the conversation shifted to spiritual matters, and, and I began to understand that she was no longer adhering to traditional orthodox teachings regarding Christianity. She was seeking. She was on this journey of seeking, of finding out and looking at different things and was even involved into some Native American spiritual traditions at the time. And so you can imagine how that conversation went as everybody walked by seeing the, the preacher uh, talking with her in that moment. And we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about the Bible. We talked about who Christ is. We talked about several things. Actually, one of the first conversations I had apologetically defending the faith in some ways. And in part of our conversation, she shared how it wasn't necessarily the resurrection that she struggled with, but she struggled most with the virgin birth. Now, going into that conversation, I would have thought it would have been the opposite, right? That someone would have struggled with a, a man being uh, raising from the dead, right? But she shared that it was the virgin birth, the doctrine of the virgin birth, that was part of her struggle. And don't get me wrong, it was, a, it was a, a conversation that was overall good. And we shared some of our differences, but she listened to, to me and I listened to her. It uh, seems like that kind of goes out the window these days for whatever reason. Uh, but we did have a good conversation and left on good terms, but it directs us back to where we are today, that there is an importance of the doctrine of the virgin birth. I want to share that importance with you as we consider this doctrine of the faith 
together this morning. And I want you to turn in, in Matthew's gospel, and we're going to read in verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1. This is what's recorded. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke, he did as the Lord, Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So today we want to view Christmas through the doctrine of the virgin birth. We want to know why it's important. We want to look at what it means. We want to see the doctrinal stance that we as Baptists adhere to. And we also want to see how it applies to our life. And this leads us to our big idea for today. And today's big idea is this. Doctrinal clarity clarifies eternity. Doctrinal clarity clarifies eternity. So let's begin as we look at this passage of Scripture. Let's look at three key elements from it. The first element I want to share with you this morning is the suspicion of the supernatural. The suspicion of the supernatural. My conversation with my distant cousin in that, in that moment was all about her suspicion, right? She was seeking, she was looking, she was considering all these different ideas and ideologies. And she was suspicious of the supernatural when she said that she struggled with the doctrine of the virgin birth. Suspicion of this doctrine, suspicion of the virgin birth really isn't anything new, right? No Jewish person in the ancient day would have thought the Messiah would have been born of a virgin. Even non-Jewish writings had no record of this type of event at all. Descriptions of mythological beings told of lust-craved gods that interacted with human beings to produce offspring. So in Jewish thought and outside Jewish thought, there was no concept, there was no gleaning or understanding that one would be born of a virgin. Other parallel historical religions have no discussion of an event like this one. Even the ancient religions that parallel historically with Christianity, none of them have a record of a virgin birth. It was not a concept that was present. But here and in the Gospel of Luke, in the recordings of Scripture that we have regarding the narrative of Jesus' birth, in both instances, both Matthew and Luke record it as a matter of fact that it happened, that it took place. And it took place in, in Bethlehem, and it took place with Joseph and Mary. So there's always been suspicion surrounding the supernatural. There always will be suspicion around the supernatural and that is where faith comes in. That is where faith comes in. You know, suspicion is part of the relationships we have as humans, right? Suspicion is part of who we are as we interact with one another. And if you don't believe me, go buy a car, right? 
You go buy a car, you're going to be suspicious, right? I found this out firsthand. In 2008, Addison was going to be born. We needed a bigger vehicle. My good friend went with me to buy the vehicle. And, and Steve is a wonderful guy. He is a loving husband, a daughter to his three girls like no other. I love Steve. We, we, we interact still from time to time, contacting each other about different things. And he went with me, and I saw a different side of Steve. When he sat across the table from that salesman. Maybe you've had a friend like that. Or maybe you're that friend. I don't know. But there was a great deal of suspicion when we were going back and forth in this negotiation of the car. And I learned that my good friend Steve knew exactly how to negotiate. But this idea of suspicion is about us as humans. We, we question. We, we seek. We, we negotiate. We do all these different things. And a lot of it deals with suspicion or the lack of trust. But friend, God's word is trustworthy. We can trust the word of the living God. We can trust the infallible and inspired word of our God. The Lord of our salvation. And both Matthew and Luke record this as a matter of fact. The virgin birth or maybe better described... Theologians describe it maybe a little bit better as the, the virgin conception. It's, there's been suspicion about it. But this is an event of supernatural proportions. And the event was supernatural, one, because of the messenger. Who came to Joseph? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, the messenger, brought to him exactly what was going to take place, exactly what was going to happen. Also, this event is supernatural due to the prophecy that Matthew records being fulfilled. Matthew records Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 being fulfilled, and he ends that, and he specifically uses that text because at the end the name is Emmanuel, which he translates, God is with us. So as he writes about the factual elements of this event, the factual points of this event, he shows us that Jesus is God incarnate. The incarnation takes place in a place known as Bethlehem. And that Jesus is born of a virgin. We also see it's supernatural because of who Jesus is. That he is the Son of God. And that it is by faith in him alone that we, we trust in him as he was born of a virgin to secure our salvation. Matthew presents the supernatural as fact, which bursts the importance of this supernatural event. And that's the second element I want to show, show to you today, the importance of the supernatural. There's been plenty of suspicion about the supernatural, but that's where faith comes in, right? That's where faith comes in. When we, when we can't put every single thing together that's where faith comes in. You know how I know we all have some level of faith today? Because you're sitting down. That's an example of your faith. You, you didn't walk, if you're here this morning in-house, you didn't walk up to your pew thinking, now who built this? How long ago was it built? What kind of wood is it made of? Do I know the person that put this together or did it come from Ikea? Like, we don't think about those things, do we? No, we just sit down, right? 
And if you're home watching, you're probably sitting in the kitchen or sitting on the couch, and you didn't walk up to it thinking, hey, well, how long, how old is this, or where did it come from? No, you just sat down, and that's just a, that's a simplistic example, but it's an example of faith. That we don't, we don't know who built that pew or that chair we're sitting in, but we sure sat in it, didn't we? And so, yeah, there may be some suspicion out there, but that doesn't take away the truth from God's word. And we see that this supernatural event has great importance. You know, we all have priorities in our life as well, right? We all have priorities in our life as well. We may, we may have written down those priorities from time to time, or we may understand that this certain event or this certain relationship is a priority. You know, it's often been said if you want to know what your priorities are, that you just log into your bank account or you take your checkbook and flip through it, and then you'll find out exactly what your priorities are, right? Well, a priority for the authentic follower of Jesus is God's Word. A priority for the follower of Jesus is doctrinal clarity and knowing God's Word. Now, why? Because God's Word is authoritative. It is the authority we turn to as a true follower of Jesus. And so Matthew's passage, it provides orthodox teaching. Now, what do we mean when we say orthodox? Well, really, we're, we're just talking about right teaching. When we say orthodox teaching, we're talking about right teaching. So Matthew's gospel presents to us the right teaching or the orthodox teaching of Christianity regarding the virgin birth or the virgin conception of Jesus. Now let's consider some reasons why this is important. Why is this teaching so important for you and for me? Why is it important to understanding Christmas? Why is it important for our journey as we follow the Lord Jesus? There is definitely importance. First, the virgin birth shows us that salvation comes from where? Salvation comes from the Lord. It's what we just sang about. Salvation comes from the Lord. He is the God of our salvation. Friend, this is a mind-blowing reality. This is a mind-blowing reality that salvation doesn't come from human effort. When we think about other historical religions in the world, guess what? They teach some level of earning your way into heaven. And really, if you survey, survey many people of our day and many people in our culture Many would come to the place of, well, I just hope the good outweighs the bad at the end. But what the virgin birth shows us is that Jesus is the Lord of salvation. And that salvation is not based on our merit. It's not based on our good deeds. It's based in who Jesus is and trusting him and following him by faith. Because thinking you're good enough will never be good enough. Thinking you are good enough to get into heaven and have eternal life will never be good enough. It is only by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And the virgin birth shows us that salvation comes from the Lord. Secondly, it is through the mir this miracle that the doctrinal reality of Christ's humanity and deity coinciding with each other is present. That he is both fully God and fully man. That he is fully human and fully divine. Without the virgin birth, we don't get there. 
And we don't have time to go into the depths of all that. And, and it's hard for us to wrap our mind around fully God and fully man. But the totality of Scripture points us to who Jesus is. But it all began with the virgin birth or the virgin conception. Finally, why is this important? It makes possible the sinless nature of Jesus. Many people that would be polled today, a high percentage would say that Jesus sinned during his life on earth. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible reveals. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made the one who did not know sin, now the subject here is Jesus, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That doesn't happen without the virgin birth. That, that doesn't take place without the virgin birth or the virgin conception. So this has great importance for us. It's not just part of a Christmas song. And it's not just part of the Christmas season. It is actually part of the bigger understanding of one's salvation. That it comes from the Lord. That Jesus was fully man and fully God. And that in him and in him alone there is salvation because he was sinless. And so this makes this doctrine so very important. Now we're going to take a little doctrine detour for a minute here, okay? Stay with me. Take a little doctrine detour for a minute. Many of us know someone, maybe someone close to us. <clears throat> we know somebody maybe within our community or friends from the past. Or we have a relationship with someone maybe we work with. Or somewhere along the way we've encountered and know someone from a Roman Catholic background. And this is where a distinct difference between Baptist and Catholicism comes into play. So I hope we can gain some clarity regarding this as we seek to understand it more holistically and better. Roman Catholic doctrine teaches the reason for Christ's sinless nature is that Mary was sinless. This teaching is known as the Immaculate Conception. Now, I know there might have been some confusion over the years. Might have been some confusion that the Immaculate Conception actually applies to Jesus. But when you actually look into Roman Catholicism doctrine, the Immaculate Conception is an idea and a teaching that applies to Mary. Theologian Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology work notes this, in 1854, Pope Pius IX declared Mary was free from original sin. So the Immaculate Conception over the years, as we have discussed it or we've engaged with it, it seems to have floated over into being applied to Jesus. But from Roman Catholic doctrine and teachings, that's not true. The Immaculate Conception applies to Mary. Because in traditional Roman Catholicism, Jesus could only be sinless if Mary was sinless. So here's the difference. Here's the distinction, okay, from Baptist and historical Roman Catholicism. The distinction is the Bible doesn't teach that Mary was sinless. The Bible does not say that Mary was sinless. We learn from the Bible that God had favor upon Mary. But here's the deal with that. That term favor in the original language of the New Testament, Paul applies that same word to all Christians in Ephesians chapter 1. 
So yes, there was special favor upon Mary to birth the Lord Jesus Christ. There was special favor as God chose Mary to take part in that. But nowhere in Scripture do we find that Mary was sinless. And nowhere do we find in Scripture a support of some type of immaculate conception for Mary so that she could birth the Lord Jesus. So here's two key things for us as Baptists. As Baptists, we adhere that the Word of God is fully inspired and infallible. We also adhere to Jesus as the one who is sinless, who died on the cross for our sins. And we trusted him by faith. So we take a little doctrine detour here. But biblically speaking, Jesus is the one that is described as sinless, as I just shared with you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so as Baptists, we adhere to this inspired word of God that reveals that, yes, Mary had favor, but it was Jesus who is the Holy One. How do we know that? Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Let me read this verse in Luke's narrative in his gospel that records Jesus' birth. The angel replied to her. So the angel speaking to Mary here as Luke records it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In that scripture, the Holy One is Jesus. The Holy One to be born and known as the Son of God is Jesus. And so as Baptists, we adhere to what the Bible explicitly teaches that yes, there was favor upon Mary, but she was not sinless. Now how can Jesus be sinless if he was born from Mary? Theologian Millard Erickson notes this. It seems likely that the influence of the Holy Spirit was so powerful and sanctifying in its effect that there was no conveyance of depravity or of guilt from Mary to Jesus. This is a supernatural event. And it's important for us to note these distinctions. It's important for us to follow the authority of God's word as we follow and understand who Jesus is. Now, we don't have time today to go into all this in depth, but we can see that there is a clear distinction here. And this distinct theological importance surrounding the virgin birth has verification. And that's the last element I want to share with you this morning. Verification of the supernatural. So, pastor, preacher, you're telling me there's this great supernatural event that people are suspicious of, but it's important for me. Well, how can I verify it? You know, we all go to these different websites these days, and if you scroll down to the bottom, there's a little checkbox, right? And the little checkbox, they want you to click on it, and it says, so that we know you're not a robot. Have you seen those before? And you'll take your mouse and you'll click on it because, hey, I'm not a robot. And you want to be verified as not a robot. Well, there's some verification of who Christ is as the Holy One born, born of a virgin. The supernatural is verified in the obedience of Joseph. When we look into Matthew's passage, Joseph, he was about to say, I can't do this, right? And quietly he was going to remove himself from the situation. But the angel of the Lord spoke into Joseph's heart and into his life. And Joseph obeyed. He didn't leave Mary. He stayed with Mary. 
Joseph ended up following through with his commitment to, to marry her. And then he obeyed the angel in naming the son Jesus. Because Jesus is the Savior. And the, term, and, and, and the name of Jesus actually goes back to the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, Yeshua, which is translated in English, Joshua, and it means Jehovah Savior. This is who Jesus is. Even, even in his name and the obedience of Joseph, we see that he is a Savior that was born and conceived by the Holy Spirit of a virgin. John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Paul writes that he knew no sin and became sin for us. The apostle Peter speaks to the, the sinless nature of Jesus and also preaches that no other name in heaven on earth is to be saved by. You can't be saved by any other name than the name of Jesus. And John concludes all of Scripture revealing that Jesus will return in majesty as Lord and Savior over all the earth where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Scripture testifies who Jesus is. Scripture testifies of itself. Therefore, it should have authority in your life and my life. And we should understand there is doctrinal significance when it comes to Christmas because doctrinal clarity clarifies eternity. Doctrinal clarity clarifies eternity. My family member all those years ago, back in 2005, she was seeking. She was searching. Why? Because there was a lack of clarity in her life. There was a lack of clarity. The, the foothold of doubt came because the door had been cracked open in her life. And friend, I don't want that to happen in your life. I don't want that to happen in the life of our church. We want to be people of God's word with doctrinal clarity. To where faith doesn't, where, where fear and doubt doesn't creep in and take foothold, but we are a people of faith, even faith in who Jesus is as he was born supernaturally, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Because doctrinal clarity clarifies eternity. As we wrap up this morning, I want to leave you with some key takeaways. Maybe you'll write them down. Maybe you can go back and refer to it later on. Maybe it's something that you'll ponder. Maybe it's portable for you this week as we move closer and closer to Christmas this year. Consider these important takeaways. The, the first takeaway is this. The authority of God's word must be a top priority in a believer's life. The authority of God's word must be a top priority in the believer's life. When's the last time you read God's word? Outside of Sunday. When's the last time you studied a specific portion of God's word in-depthly, beyond just devotional time, but something more in-depth. When's the last time you did that? You see, we can't grow in understanding God's word and have doctrinal clarity if we're not going to be committed to God's word and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word for us. The priority of God's word, the inspired, infallible word of God, must be a priority for the believer's life. The second key takeaway I want to leave with you, key orthodox teachings must be upheld in a believer's life. Key orthodox teachings must be upheld in a believer's life. Now, me and my cousin, we had a lot of differences that day, and we talked about those differences. But it was my responsibility to speak into her life with the key orthodox teachings of who Christ was. And if we don't hold on to those and we don't uphold those, 
then anything goes. If we don't hold on to the orthodox teachings of who Jesus is and uphold to the doctrine of Scripture and hold God's word up high along with holding Jesus up high, then anything is going to be relative and anything is going to go. And we're already seeing that in our culture. It's so very important for our life that we uphold key right teachings of who Jesus is. Finally, clarity in who Christ is moves us to Christ-centered obedience. Joseph gives us that example as Matthew records it. Joseph moved to obedience around the Son of God, Jesus. And so we must apply that same level of obedience in our life. That when we have clarity on who Christ is, that moves us to Christ-centered obedience. What's God calling you to today? What obedient step, what faith step has God been showing to you, illuminating to you? What is that one faith obedient step that you need to take today? Not as a New Year resolution. Not when things get settled. Not when life isn't so busy. None of that. Drill down into it. What is the next step of faith? the next obedient step of faith that Jesus is calling you to that would glorify him. Friend, whatever that is, I admonish you. I admonish you to take that step, to uphold who Jesus is in your life, to study and follow his word, and it will bring clarity to your Christmas. But more importantly, it will bring clarity to eternity because he is the Lord of our salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you today and we need you, God. We need you more each and every day, God. No matter what circumstances we see on the horizon, what we're dealing with, we need you, the Lord of our salvation. Father, there may be one tuning in, watching today or listening today, and you've laid upon their heart that next right step of obedience. There may be one in this room today that has a step of obedience they need to take. Lord, I pray that that wouldn't be put to the side. I pray that there would be obedience. That we would obey you and leave the consequences to you. And if, we don't, if I don't obey you, if we don't obey you as your church, that you'd make us miserable until we did obey you. Because obeying you and following you is for your glory and for our good. Help us take that step of faith and trust in you alone. Lord, help us to grasp clarity in the doctrines of your word in order to uphold who Jesus is. To live out biblical faith, Christ-centered beliefs in a lost and dying world. May we hold on to the truth and submit to the authority of your word. Lord, as we come to Christmas May we worship you and you alone. There's going to be many things in this world that say, no, it's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus that. It's Jesus and on top we're going to put some layers of this. May we know that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And that his birth where he was laid in a manger means that we won't have to stay laid in a grave. 
but that there's eternal, eternity and hope forever in his name. If you're listening today or you're watching today and you have a faith decision to make, we want to journey with you. You can comment or you can send us a direct message. If you're in the room today and you want to stay afterwards, I would love to, to talk with you, to pray with you. Whatever decision you might need to make today, my prayer is that you'll not only make it, you'll commit to it, and you'll take that step each and every day to follow through with it for the glory of the Lord of our salvation. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your powerful name. Amen.